0: Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaim his handiwork. Day to day pour out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. And there is no speech, nor are there words whose word is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom, leaving his chamber and like a strong man, runs its course with joy. It's rising from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart, and the commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Let them not have dominion over me, then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, good morning, Emmanuel and uh, Scott. Thank you for those kind words. Um, Scott and I first met, as you know, he serves on the leadership development team, which oversees ordinations in the metro New York area, and that's how we met, and so he oversaw my ordination, and it remains to be seen whether he should be thanked or blamed for that. Um, But it's good to be here today. Let me open in prayer, and then we'll look at Psalm 19 together. Father, we thank you that your word is a sure foundation for our lives. You always speak the truth to us. And you speak out of love. And your words are the words of life. And if we build our lives on your word, we will not have built in vain. And when the storm comes, you will enable us to stand. So help us to listen to your word and see that it is indeed sweeter than honey, and more to be desired than gold. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our question this morning is this. What would you trade for your Bible? How much is the Bible worth to you? And I recognize there will be a range of answers to that question. Some of you will treasure the Bible. You believe it's the Word of God. And some of you won't think much of it at all. But wherever you are on that spectrum, this ancient song is designed to help us value the Bible more. And so the question is, how much is the Bible worth to you? If you had a choice between keeping your money or keeping your Bible, which would you rather keep? David is the man who wrote Psalm 19, and David asked himself that question. And here's what he said, verse 10 The Bible is more to be desired than gold, even much fine gold. So if he had a choice between keeping his gold or keeping his Bible, David would say, I'd rather have my Bible. And I think that's very surprising, especially when you consider how much of the Bible David had and how much gold David had. You see, David's Bible was much shorter than ours. He had just a fraction of what we have because in his day, they only had the first five books of the Bible. That's the first 200 pages of a 1,500-page book. And most of those pages are actually a bunch of laws. The first time I tried reading the Bible cover to cover... I decided to read a chapter a day, and I made it all the way through Genesis and Exodus, so I made it through the genealogies in Genesis and the tabernacle in Exodus, and then I gave up in Leviticus uh, because I could not bear to read about any more sacrifices. So Monday I read about the burnt offerings, Tuesday was grain offerings, Wednesday was peace offerings, Thursday was sin offerings, and then I gave up on Friday because Friday was guilt offerings. And for the life of me, I could not work out the difference between a sin offering And a guilt offering. And more to the point, what on earth did that have to do with me? So my first attempt to read the Bible died in Leviticus. I barely made it halfway through David's abridged Bible. They called it the Torah back then. And it was mostly a bunch of laws. But David says, verse 10, that the laws and rules and commandments... Are worth more than gold. So if he had a choice between keeping his gold or keeping his Torah, David says, I'd rather have my Torah. I'd rather have my laws. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Now that is even more surprising when you consider how much gold David had. So on my second attempt to read through the Bible, I made it all the way to 1 Chronicles. And at the end of that book, we're told how much gold David had, or rather how much gold he gave away. And 1 Chronicles tells us that David gave away 3,000 talents of gold and 7,000 talents of silver. Now, those are meaningless numbers to me. So I looked up the price of gold and silver and fired up the Excel spreadsheet. And it turns out David gave away over five billion dollars worth of precious metals. That's five billion with a B. And that's just the gold he gave away. Who knows how much he kept for himself? That is an absurd amount of money. You can buy everything listed on Amazon. It would hardly make a dent. It would be a rounding error on David's bank statements. But David says, if he had a choice between keeping his gold or keeping his Bible, he would rather have his Bible. He would rather have all those laws because verse 10, more to be desired are they than gold, even $5 billion worth of gold. So that sets our agenda for the morning. At least we know what we're aiming for because here's the test of whether we get Psalm 19. Could we say verse 10 and mean it? So would we happily give up all of our money if that means we get to keep our Bibles? Would we say that's a fair trade? And again, I recognize there may be people here who don't think the Bible is worth anything. But this song was written to change your mind. And if you're willing to listen, if you give it a fair hearing, you may find something here that surprises you. So here's the question we'll answer for the rest of our time together. Why does David say verse 10? Why is the Bible more to be desired than gold? And we'll take the verses before and the verses after, and those will be our two points today. So here's point one, verses one to nine. Words are a better way to know God. That's why the Bible is to be desired. Now I think normally we get this, so we get the idea that words are a better way to relate to people. So think about what you can know about people just by looking at them or looking at a picture of them. And the answer is a lot. You can tell a lot about people just by looking at them. So you can guess uh, their height and weight and age. Mostly things will get in trouble for trying to guess. Uh, But you can also know the color of their skin, the color of their hair, maybe the color of their eyes. Uh, basically you'll know enough to ID them to the police and get their face printed on a wanted poster. But there's a limit to how much you can tell about people just by looking at them. For instance, you'll never know what they like or who they like. And you'll never know the most important things about them. The kinds of things you need to know if you're going to trust them or relate to them. Now, I've heard of math students who will sometimes sit quietly and do math together on their first date, but I take it that's not normal human behavior. Because if you want to know someone properly, you need to talk to them and listen to them, or at least read words, read something written by them or about them. So normally we get the idea that words are a better way to relate to people. But it's interesting how our thinking changes when it comes to God. Because I have a lot of friends who say they are spiritual, and they would push back on the idea that reading a book is the best way to know God. In fact, even some of my Christian friends would push back on that idea. And they would say, well, don't put God in a box. Don't limit him to a book. He's so much bigger than that. He's so much more than words. And when it comes to knowing God... They'd rather go outside and look at the stars than go inside and look at a Bible. They want to discover God by searching the stars or searching their hearts because anything is better than reading a book. So that's the question we'll be answering in our first point today. Which is the better way of knowing God? Searching the stars or reading a book? Who will end up knowing God better? Dora the Explorer, or Hermione the Bookworm. And I'm sorry if you don't know who either of those people are, but that's the sort of TV I've been watching these days. Now, you may have noticed um, in verses 1 to 9, David compares these two ways of knowing God, and he thinks the second way is better. He thinks the Bookworm way is better. Because verses 1 to 6, the universe tells us there is nowhere to hide. That's what you get by looking at creation. And I think that's the main point of these verses. David says, verse 6, there is nowhere to hide. And that is not the kind of knowledge that revives the soul or rejoices the heart. We won't spend a lot of time on these verses, so we'll focus on the key parts. And actually, most of these verses, verses 4 to 6, are all about the sun. And I have to say, that puzzled me for a while. Why does David spend so much time talking about the sun? Why does he focus on that part of the universe? If you look at verse 5, David says that the sun is like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and a strong man running his course. So imagine Usain Bolt on his wedding day. That's the sun according to verse 5. And verse 6 tells us why. The sun gets to see every square inch of this little planet called Earth because its course runs from one end of the heavens to the other and nothing, nothing is hidden from its heat. That's why the sun runs its course with joy because the sun gets to see everything. But again, the question is, Why do we need to know that about the sun? Why does David wax lyrical about it? I think the key phrase is at the end of verse 6. There is nothing hidden from its heat. And there's a sting in the tail here. Because if no one can hide from the sun, if the entire earth lies exposed to its heat, Then surely that means no one can hide from the God who made the sun, and even our deepest secrets lie exposed before his sight. That word hidden is used once more in verse 12, and it's used there to describe our faults. And verse 12 says that even our hidden faults can be seen by God, there is nothing that is hidden from his sight. And this phrase, hidden faults, in verse 12, it means even the faults that are hidden to everyone else, maybe even to us. As verse 12 says, who can discern his errors? Some faults are hidden so deep that even we are blind to them. But God is not blind to them. I think that's the point of the sun. That's the point of verse 6. If the sun can see everything then God can see everything. And if you can see the sun, then God can see you. And if you read verses 1 to 4 in light of verses 5 and 6, there's a sting in nearly every verse. Because verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God who sees everything. And verse 2, every day and every night the same message is heard and the message is that you cannot hide from your maker. And verses 3 and 4, everyone, everywhere has heard that message, which means everyone, everywhere knows enough to be held accountable. Because verses 5 and 6, everyone, everywhere can see the sun. Like I said, it's not the kind of knowledge that revives the soul or rejoices the heart. But that's what looking at the universe will tell you about God. The universe will tell you that there is a God, that you should be honoring him and giving thanks to him, and that you cannot hide from him if you fail to do either of those things. And if you can see the sky or see the sun, then you know enough about God to be held accountable for ignoring him. And that means there is nowhere to hide. Now, again, if that's the kind of knowledge you get by searching the stars, then maybe you can see why David vastly prefers the second way of knowing God. Why he prefers burying his nose in a book. Because the person with the book gets to hear more and better and clearer. And the person with the Bible won't try hiding from God, but will instead be running to him. And that brings us to verses 7 to 9. And these verses make some remarkable claims about what it's like to read your Bible. So have a look at those verses with me. And notice what David says the Bible can do for you. It can revive the soul and make wise the simple and rejoice the heart and enlighten the eyes. It's a remarkable set of claims. And who knew you could get all that from reading a book? And remember, at this point in history, David's Bible was mostly a bunch of laws. That's why four of the six words used to describe the Bible are legal words. Because the Bible was mostly laws and precepts and commandments and rules. Some of you may practice law for a living, and I can see how studying a bunch of laws might make you wise or enlighten your eyes, but it doesn't matter how much you love the idea of being a lawyer, I really struggle to see how a bunch of laws will revive your soul or rejoice your heart. Um, our family is going through a tough time right now, and uh, without getting into all the details, uh, my daughter was in the hospital for the past two weeks, and. Uh, She is an absolute champ. Uh, She gets a bead of courage for every uh, treatment or procedure or test or poke. And uh, in just two weeks, her string of beads is longer than my arm. Um, And I really wish she didn't have any beads. But she's taking it like an absolute champ. Uh, Her parents, not so much. But even with everything that's going on, I want to be here. I need to be here because the Bible will do more for my soul and my heart than anything else in this world. Even the bits about the laws and tabernacles and sacrifices, I need those parts as well. It's a remarkable set of claims. And I think there are two reasons David says that the Bible is soul-reviving and heart-rejoicing. And the first reason is this. The Bible gives us perfect words. Have a look again at verses 7 to 9. And according to these verses, the words that God speaks are perfect and sure and right and pure and true. And just compare that to the words that we hear from everyone else. Most of my friends are trustworthy. Uh, Some of them are absolute rogues, and I've learned not to believe a word they say, but most of them are trustworthy. I can count on them to tell me the truth. But even my most truthful friends will sometimes get it wrong. Even with the best of intentions, they're not always right, and they're not always sure. But every word you read in this book is perfect and right and sure and pure and true and that means god will always tell you the truth and he will never get it wrong maybe you're beginning to see why david loves his bible even if it is mostly a bunch of laws i have regretted listening to my friends in the past but you will never regret listening to the words of the Bible. You can build your whole life on this book. And verse 9 tells us that's the kind of life that will endure forever. So that's the first reason David loves his Bible. The Bible gives him perfect words. Here's the second reason. The Bible gives him personal knowledge. My spiritual friends want to know God by searching the stars or searching their hearts. But they could know so much more if they would just pick up a Bible. Because look at the relationship that David the bookworm has with his God. So notice that David knows God by name. Whenever you see L-O-R-D in small caps in your English Bible, uh, that is God's personal name. It's sometimes translated as Yahweh, and only people who love God would use that personal name. And notice that David only ever uses that name when he talks about the Bible in verses 7 to 9. But he never uses that name when he looks at the universe in verses 1 to 6. And I think the implication is clear. Reading the Bible is the only way you will ever know God by name. You will never get that kind of knowledge by searching the stars or searching your heart. And here's the thing about knowing God by name. If you call on the name of God, then he knows you as well. He would acknowledge you if you passed on the street. And just the other week, I had lunch with Scott in New York, and uh, get this, Lawrence Fishburne walked right by us. Uh, if you don't know who that is, he was Morpheus in The Matrix. If you don't know what that is, you really need to watch the movie. Uh, but Lawrence Fishburne walked right by us, and he didn't even say hello. He didn't even acknowledge us. So much for our personal relationship. But if you know God by name, he won't blank you on the street. We all have a way um, of sorting our mail. And there's the mail that goes straight in the trash that's called junk mail. But there's also mail that we look forward to reading. We see the name on the envelope and we cannot wait to hear what they have to say. Here's the thing about knowing God by name. If you know the God of the Bible and you pray to him, he doesn't treat your prayer like junk mail your prayer is a note from one of his children think about how you would handle a handwritten note from your child that's how god handles your prayers and you have no idea how precious that has been to us over these past few weeks verses 11 to 14 are very relational verses Uh, twice david calls himself your servant So verse 11, by them your servant is warned. Verse 13, keep back your servant from sin. And then verse 14, David uses God's personal name one more time. And he says, Yahweh. Yahweh is my rock and my redeemer. So David is known by the God who made the universe. He can count on him to be there for him. That's what it means to call Yahweh, your rock, and your redeemer. And you can only get that from the Bible. You will never get that by looking at the stars or looking in your heart. Remember, God's personal name is only ever used in verses 7 to 9 when David is looking at his Bible. It is never used in verses 1 to 6 when David is looking at the stars. So maybe you're beginning to understand what David says that the Bible is more to be desired than gold. And if it's a choice between keeping his Bible or keeping his gold, David would happily give up $5 billion worth of gold for just the first five books of the Bible. And David would say, that's a good trade. I got the better end of that deal. Because now I have personal knowledge of the God who speaks perfect words. So that's point one. Words are a better way of knowing God. Uh, Point two is much shorter. But we have one more question to answer. And the question is, uh, what does the Bible actually say to us? So what are the words uh, that God speaks to us through the Bible? So we know they're perfect And sure, and all those other things in verses 7 to 9, but what are the words that revive our souls and rejoice our hearts? And that brings us to point two. Uh, These are words we need to hear. Now, this came as a surprise to me because I expected to see words of encouragement or words of promise. Surely those are the words that David wants more than gold. But if you look at verses 11 to 13, it seems that mainly the Bible warns him. So verse 11, By them your servant is warned. And verse 13, Keep back your servant from sins. Let them not have dominion over me. These are words of warning. And these are the words that David loves more than gold. And I have to say, That was a surprise to me. It's not what I was expecting. But actually it makes a lot of sense. If you think about it, the only people in the world who will never stop warning you are your parents. You just can't help it. It doesn't matter how old you are because that's how much they love you. They always want what's best for you. Now the problem is, even they will sometimes get it wrong and their warnings won't always be helpful. But God is the only other person in the world who will never stop warning you. And his warnings are perfect. His warnings are true. And I hope this changes the way we think about the quote-unquote negative parts of the Bible, the parts of the Bible that talk about sin and judgments. I mean, these are the chapters that secular people hate the most, and actually most of them are in the first five books of the Bible. But remember, those are the only books that David ever had. And he still thinks they're worth more than gold. Because a God who loves him is a God who warns him. And David gets that because he's a parent. If you love your kids, you will warn them. So the first word we need to hear is warned. The second word is innocent. And that is by far the most important word God will ever say to you. Because verse 6, if there is nowhere to hide... And verse 12, if God can see even my hidden faults, then surely God can see all the things I am not. I mean, you really don't need God's sight to know that I am not perfect or right or true. And if even the people around me can see what I am not, imagine what God sees when he looks at my hidden faults. So I need God to speak one more word to me. And that is why David ends this psalm with a prayer. He pleads with God, verse 12, Declare me innocent. Verse 13, Let me be blameless and innocent. And once more, verse 14, Let me be acceptable in your sight. And that's the prayer of a man who knows what he is not. He is not innocent or blameless or acceptable. And that's why he ends with a prayer. He needs God to make him those things. That word innocent is by far the most important word that God will ever say to you. And it is more to be desired than gold. Because all the gold in the world cannot buy you a ticket to heaven. But one word from God is enough to get you in. You know, it's amazing um, how much David was able to get from just the first five books of the Bible. But, of course, we have so much more than he did. We know so much more than he did. Because now we know God by another name. And the new name we have is Jesus. Jesus. And the Apostle Peter says in Acts chapter 4 that there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So the answer to David's prayer is yes. God will declare us innocent and he will make us blameless and he will do it by the blood of his son. And that means somehow even verse 14, even that verse will find its yes in Jesus. Somehow even our thoughts will be acceptable to the God who can read us like a book. And all because Jesus uh, is our rock and our redeemer. So as we close, um, I don't know if we achieved verse 10, but that's what we were aiming for. And David would pick up his 200-page Bible full of laws and rules and commandments, and he would say, more to be desired than gold, even $5 billion worth of gold. And that's why here at Emanuel Church, I know that Scott has made it his business to teach you the Bible. And that's most of what he does, I think, week in, week out. He just teaches people the Bible. And if you join this church, then what he'll do is put a Bible in your hands and he'll say, here's a Bible. It's worth more than gold. Shall we look at it together? And that is all he will ever do because that's the best thing he can do for you. Uh, he honestly believes that is better than giving you a billion dollars worth of gold. He doesn't have that kind of money anyway, but he doesn't need it either because the Bible can give you personal knowledge of the God who speaks perfect words, and the best word he can say to you is innocent. That one word on its own is worth more than all the gold in the world. Let me close in a short prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for your perfect and precious words. Thank you that they teach us what is right and pure and true. Please give us eyes to see our hidden faults. Please give us ears to hear your warnings. And please give us humility to say sorry and please forgive me. And thank you that you will always say yes to those prayers because Jesus is our rock and redeemer and he died to pay for our sins. Help us all to love to hear from you, uh, to love to relate to you by reading your words in the Bible. And thank you that one day we will see you face to face. But until that day, the Bible is all we need to know you as our loving Heavenly Father.